News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at com. And remember, get the podcast at WBT.com. Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board members got a bunch of reports. Man, that meeting went for like four hours or something the other night. It was ridiculous. Um, they covered a bunch of different things. They did the clear backpacks thing. They got an update on the... Uh, on the COVID numbers and the like. Um, there was one part, I mentioned this uh, last hour, there was one part where they had a consultant come in and sort of give an update on how badly they've been doing their jobs as board members. And apparently they, this is to make them better. They're doing training. Okay, so they're doing training, so, they, so they're better board members. And he, he goes through, like, multiple examples and he just kind of runs down, like, without identifying individual board members by name, but he's saying, like, board member asked a question, then someone said, you know, uh, another one stated something, so-and-so asked this, so-and-so said that, you know. But he's doing it in a generic fashion, and all of that is basically to just kind of distill down to the fact that the board members are asking yes-no questions. And... They offer their own opinion. He says that this is this is wrong. Like you don't you don't need to just be asking uh, staffers when you're going through a presentation or something, and you're just asking them a yes no question. But that's not even the worst of it. That's actually better than um, the other route, which is them not even asking questions. They're just giving their opinion about something, usually unrelated to whatever it is that the staffer is presenting and then they go off down this tangent and they don't resolve anything. It's just, I know this is going to come as a shock, so you may want to sit down for this. It's almost as if the school board members are acting like politicians giving speeches during the meetings. I know who would have thought they would possibly engage in such behavior, but apparently they have been. Apparently they have been. Yeah, it's like they just they they use this as an opportunity to dress up stump speeches for the children. That's kind of the that's kind of the deal. Uh, and at one point, he said like there was a particular discussion where they directed or they 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 asked the superintendent something, and he said he would look into it. And they went down like some board member raised like an anecdote, a story. And I've seen this. It happens a lot where they're like, I ran into this person or this principal, this teacher, this student, this parent, whatever. And they're like, and this person told me this thing. And I just want to know, is this something that we allow at these other schools? Because I don't think that that's really appropriate to be doing this or that or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they go on and on and on. They made this big production out of it. Meanwhile, sucking the life out of everybody watching it because that's literally what's happening. Like, I'm devoting a chunk of my life to watching this. I don't get that time back, but I do it for you. I'm a giver. Anyway, so they go off on this tangent, and the superintendent's like, I'll take a look at it. I'm not aware of that, but I'll take a look at it. And what's what's even more egregious, is rather than just a waste of time, is that as this consultant told the board, is that everybody, he said to them, like, when you walk out of here today, you will have no idea what the superintendent's vision is for this particular subject matter, this topic. You have no idea. Because you didn't ask him. You didn't ask him. You're not asking him to explain himself. There's, and 
and he did this with his quote presentation where he just kind of does these uh, and I've heard this a lot by the way from people who have talked to folks or have been in uh, like community meetings and he shows up and he does these you know speeches and it's just basically bumper sticker bromides that's it they're just slogans he's just you know for the children every child can learn and equity and whatever like he just throws out the buzzwords and he's not even He's not even particularly good at, at, at selling this. Like, it's one thing to use, you know, the, the corporate bingo card when you're delivering the speech to the troops, you know. But if you can't sell that, it just comes across as, as really just lame. It really, and it's not inspiring. And people then realize pretty quickly that you're not a good leader and you're just saying the things and hoping that nobody realizes that, like, you're essentially the kid dressed in the adult suit. Right. You're the kid wearing daddy's shoes and they don't quite fit right. They're too big and everybody can kind of see that the clothing is too big. See, I could totally go into a live read right now for Ph.D. weight loss about my clothing not fitting, but I won't. Point here is that it seems like the superintendent uh, is not allowed to give uh, more of his input and his ideas and he's not encouraged or asked to do so but i also kind of get the sense that he doesn't really want to either (laughs) or he's not capable of it i don't know but like that seems to be the case that nobody's really interested in, in in figuring out what his vision is for a lot of this stuff and that's what the consultant told the board that they're they're kind of to blame too because they don't ask him please superintendent please tell us like that that to me is that is amazing. I could not imagine a superintendent having that kind of a relationship with the board. Not in, in all the years that I have watched and covered school boards, not just in Charlotte, but elsewhere, like that generally doesn't happen. But that's what we got going on in CMS. And apparently the consultant is, look, hey, look, if you can get the board members to stop with the stump speeches for the children and all of that, you know, awesome. God bless you. I mean, I really, like, I really hope that the consultant succeeds at doing that. Um, But we shall see. So I've just been kind of watching that. It's been going on in the background. Meanwhile, they also got a big update on their operating budget. Um, Yeah, everybody's getting raises. Um, Charlotte Mecklenburg school teachers getting a 2.5% pay raise. Uh, Retroactive, going back to July 1. It's under the new operating budget. You know how big the school uh, CMS budget is? It has doubled since I was here last, since I started. Uh, when I, So I, I went to Asheville, came back about nine years, and uh, it has doubled. It is now $2.2 billion. It was a billion when I left. I know. the Right, exactly. The, the moral of that story is that you, you don't want me to leave, because if I leave and then I come back, it's going to be like $3 billion. So, yeah, I know. So you need to tell everybody to listen to the program. And so I don't go anywhere and uh, do it, you know, so to keep your taxes low. District-wide and based on North Carolina's state budget approved last year, all teachers and instructional staff are going to get a 1.3% pay raise, $300 bonus if they were employed by January 1st. This is according to the story at the Charlotte Observer. And then there's an additional bonus that got approved for qualifying employees. Um it includes the Board of Education final budget includes $472 million in temporary federal money to address COVID-19 impacts. Almost half a billion dollars for COVID impacts. Okay? 
So just keep that in mind when you hear people like Justin Parmenter, who has been quoted ad nauseum over the last 24 hours. This guy, it's amazing to me. How come he is never identified as a union hack? Okay, I mean, all right, a union representative. All righty, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg School Board uh, approved their budget. Uh, they adopted formally their operating budget. Um, $2.2 billion. That's the cost of education in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. $2.2 billion. All right. Um and then uh, here we go, WBTV, and they were not the only ones to run this quote or other quotes from Justin Parmenter, who, uh, this is the guy who does the blog, like notes from the chalkboard. He's a leftist union hack, okay? Has been for years. Don't know why, I mean, like, don't know why he's just identified as a, just simply a CMS teacher. He says, it's, it's a really critical staffing crisis that we're still in the middle of right now. Some of the funds that we've received from the federal government have been devoted to retention incentives. We are hopeful that will be addressed again and increased because certainly any bit helps. But I don't think that we've committed uh, what we've committed so far to retain staff that we do have is really going to be effective in the long run. So what does he say? I mean, it's just he's all over the place there. But what does he say? Give me more money. That's what he's saying. Give me and every other teacher, I want more money. Give me a bigger bonus. I want more money. By the way, one of the uh, one of the bonuses that they approved, it was like, yeah, it was for the school psychologist. It was like thirty five hundred dollars. Anybody else get a get a thirty five hundred dollar bonus? Look, I understand. Th- Things have been difficult. People have been working in extremely difficult circumstances. And you know who that includes? Basically everybody. Okay? Basically everybody. All right? And I'm not arguing against bonuses. I'm not arguing against that. They got all this money. They got half a billion dollars in federal money for COVID impacts. And what what Parmenter is arguing for, which is what he is always arguing for, which is more money in order to make sure we have the best teachers, because apparently we don't. This is not my argument. This is his argument. This is the argument of this is the argument of the NCAE, is that we don't get good teachers unless we pay national average or uh, we pay like an extra ten thousand or we reinstate the step pay raises from like fifteen years ago or something like. There are all these different ways that they want to raise teacher pay but but the rationale is always the same which is you don't get the good teachers unless you pay this extra amount of money that they are demanding that the union demands yeah and that that argument means that they don't believe we have the best teachers that's their argument that's not my argument that's their argument i don't find it particularly persuasive but that's their argument that but for the pay, we would have awesome teachers. I think it's kind of insulting to the teachers, but that's the union argument. So far, CMS has spent nearly 9% of that federal money, the ARP funding, 9%. The district has until September 2024 to spend all of it. Because it's an emergency, you see. we got to spend it all. We're practicing battlefield medicine or we're not, right? It's an emergency or it's not. This is emergency recovery funding, and you got until September 2024 to spend it.
Again, this is like Leonardo DiCaprio, who should have won an award by now for his acting because he's a pretty good actor. But anyway, um, the and, and I don't even like the guy, but I'm saying he's a pretty good actor. Anyway, uh, this is like him telling us that, you know, the, the planet is going to die from climate change while he flies all around uh, to these conferences telling us about the climate change, right? You got to start behaving like you think it's this emergency too. Maybe that is why the union is, as far as membership goes, is on decline. Yeah, the membership rolls declining. This according to David Bass over at Carolina Journal. North Carolina's self-described teachers union still has clout with a lot of Democratic lawmakers in the General Assembly, but its influence and popularity with teachers and everyday, wor- uh, everyday North Carolinians appears to be waning. Over the past decade, the NCAE, the union, don't call it a union, the membership has dropped almost 59%. In, in a decade, 59%. Its revenue is cut in half. Went from $11 million, it's now down to $5.8 million. Among state affiliates of the NEA, that's what, it, uh, th- that's what the NCAE is. It's a state chapter of the NEA National Union. Okay? So for people like, oh, it's not really a union because we don't have collective bargaining rights. Okay, it's a chapter of the NEA. Okay? And among... State affiliates among chapters, only Montana and Nevada have had larger declines in membership. Today, the NCAE represents about 18% of public school teachers in the state. During the pandemic, enrollment in public schools dropped by 5%, or about 70,000 students. And while the ranks of homeschoolers spiked by 20.6%, about 30,000, private school enrollment grew by about 3.5%. Charters by about 7.5%. Meanwhile, a statewide campaign launched by the John Locke Foundation, publisher of the Carolina Journal, urges public school teachers to save $500 in dues each year by leaving the NCAE. Uh, They put up billboards in Charlotte, Mech, as well as Wake County Public School District. Uh, The campaign includes a digital component, leaveNCAE.com in which teachers receive instructions on how to cut ties. Um, There is, in fact, a new alternative to the NCAE. It is called the Carolina Teachers Alliance, the CTA. You don't have to be a member of the NCAE. There's an alternative, the CTA. Up next, study suggests kids who go to pre-K don't actually do better in math or reading. Whoops, Pete Callender here, and... uh, I mean, this is an old topic. I generally don't go back, but for this, I will, because it is so interesting. uh, Hey, Spencer, welcome to the show. What's going on? That four-ton booster? Yeah. It's going to hit the the, uh, moon. Um, There is space weather, but that's a different subject. Uh, The four-ton booster is going to hit the moon, and it's going to be absolutely invisible. No. It takes a huge telescope to see something like that happening. And nine times out of ten, it's going to hit the backside of the moon than the front, than the front, and you're not going to see it anyhow. Yeah, the backside's bigger. <laughs> no, the backside is the same <laughs> size as the front side. It's a globe. Indeed it is. But, but space weather happens all the time. That's what causes the aurora borealis. 
Ah. It's particles from the sun that are uh, streaming out and cause space weather, and it lands on the Earth and causes aurora borealis. It can also knock out satellites. Well, but wait a minute. That's on the Earth, though. It's, the sun spews particles in every direction. Right. There's no such thing as a true vacuum. There's always particles somewhere. Right. Well, as so a matter of fact, there's this strange phenomenon called virtual particle. If a virtual, yeah, no. if a uh, place has a true vacuum, a virtual particle is going to pop up in 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 space and cause it not to be a vacuum. Okay. Yeah, Spencer, I appreciate the call. Thank you. I think I actually saw. Uh, was it Virtual Particle open for Devo back in uh, 98? That was... No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> all right. And that's generally why I don't go back. Um, <laughs> by the way, we were... That was a topic about uh, an hour ago, uh, talking about SpaceX and the uh, the rocket that got left uh, behind, and uh, it's been orbiting the planet, and now it's about to uh, fling itself off uh, and I'm sure that's not accurate either. Uh, and it's going to land on the moon where I was uh, uh, hypothesizing that, hey, you know what? Maybe we can see it. It's been a long time since we've, you know, sent anything hurtling at the moon. And So thank you for that. All righty. Um, back to the topic of the CMS and the uh, uh, the education. So. Uh, this is actually beyond CMS. This is uh, education in general. But you'll recall when they were having the big fight over the Build Back Better bill um, and Joe Manchin killed it and they were like, but Joe, Joe, what about the children? Think of the children, right? And there was a bunch of money in there for universal pre-K. And so if you voted against the Build Back Better bill, it wasn't that you were opposed to like the process or inflation, borrowing money we don't have, robbing from all the children in the future, uh, or about any of the other spending that was, you know, in this bill. It wasn't that it was that you wanted kids pre-K to be stupid. That was the obvious reason why you opposed it. Well, it turns out pre-K doesn't actually work very well. There's another study in a long list of the studies this one, though, looked at nearly 3,000 students randomly assigned to either pre-K or no pre-K. So a random control group. This is, a, this is a randomized control group. This is a good way to do it. Then it tracked the outcomes for the kids through the sixth grade. And what it found is that the non-pre-K group, right, so we'll, we'll, we'll call them the, um, the neglected group. <laughs> right, <laughs> they they did not get into pre K. They were they were Oliver. This is the Olivers. Okay, they did not get into pre K. Sorry, that's a Broadway show reference. Um, they did better in reading and math. So not only is there no improvement for the kids who go to pre K, but you actually do worse. Now, see, in this, because it's a randomized group, you actually get around the issue where generally you end up with a, there's like a selection bias that occurs where you end up sending the kids and studying the kids that are in pre-K programs. Uh, and they generally have things that are going on at home in their lives that make it 
difficult for them to succeed in school. And so there's a selection bias a lot of times when you're looking at outcomes in pre-K programs. But this gets around that because you're, you're randomly assigning them. And so you end up with kids that get randomly thrown into pre-K or not, and the ones who don't go end up doing better. The non-pre-K cohort did better than the pre-K cohort, so the Olivers did better than the, well, what's the name of the kids that people, people love and care about? Yeah, I don't know. The Ukrainians. Ukrainians, everyone cares about them. Right, okay, so we got the Olivers and the Ukrainians. So the Olivers did better than the Ukrainians. Pre-K proponents sometimes argue that non-academic outcomes are just as important, though, right? We hear this as well. No, well, you can't judge the kids based on reading and math. we got to find out some other ways to assess their progress if we really want to make sure that this government program that we just keep on expanding and keep arguing for expansion and, you know, criticize any opponents of expansion as racists and such... So uh, you can't just look at the grades. You got to look at these other metrics. Like how about discipline? Disciplinary actions. Okay. Disciplinary action offenses. Once again, the Olivers, the kids who did not go to pre-K, have fewer of them over time. Seems a bit problematic. I'm sure it will change nobody's mind. Random Assignment to condition for a large and representative sample group studied longitudinally shows kids who got pre-K do meaningfully worse than those who did not. This study, to be clear, shows kids who went into pre-K, into these programs, did worse. Oh, that's just one study, though. Oh, come on. You can't just you can't base that on just over one study. Freddie DeBoer writes about this. Now, he's a universal uh, child care advocate, by the way. But he writes about this and has written about the failure of pre-K programs for years. He says we have more more and more studies, many more uh, than just this one showing this outcome. And uh, the pre-K research record is most optimistically described as mixed and most realistically described as discouraging. The results are what they are, but liberals are forever looking for magic bullets in education, and a lot of them got very professionally, politically, and emotionally invested in pre-K, and it's just really hard to get them to confront all this bad news. Is traffic bad news? Probably. I don't know. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me get Adam on to the program. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, Pete. I, I sent my daughter to three years of preschool, and my son is in a second year of preschool. Oh, have, no. I, have I made a huge mistake? Uh, you might have. I don't know. According to the, according to the science, uh, I don't know. According to this research, they may, they may not be able to read and do math at the level of someone who did not go to pre-K. But this was in Tennessee, right? No, this is everywhere. Or are you sending oh, your kids no. to Tennessee, though? I don't uh, know how they educate them in Tennessee. Is it different? It might be a different oh. program. Well, I hope <laughs> yes. my kids have good parents. Hey, tell, tell Boomer that the accident at Providence and 45 is, is uh, moved out of the travel lanes. Providence. And where? 485. 485. Out of the travel lanes. 
I will do so, although I think you kind of just did. Thank you, Adam. Good to hear from you, buddy. appreciate it. All right. Um, Look, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that every kid that is going to pre-K is not going to uh, derive some benefit. Right? I'm just telling you, like, what the research here, uh, the latest research shows on the the pre-K. And again, Freddie DeBoer, he's a universal child care advocate. See, so he just so he's on board with the idea to send the kids to something for child care purposes, right? To provide that, as you know, every other you know Western civilization does, whatever he. So he's on board with that, but he, but it's the pre-K idea of like teaching the kids because they're you know your parent the, the parents aren't or something whatever like that it, it apparently whatever it is that is occurring is not working, but again, your mileage may vary. Hashtag not all pre-K kids. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if you, I'm, I'm not going to say you made a mistake. I take the same view as I do with the school choice stuff, which, by the way, happy National School Choice Week, everybody. But uh, I, you know, I'm not going to tell parents to send their kids or not send their kids to whatever school or whatever program they want to send them to. Your kid, your choice. That's. I'm not gonna say it's a it's a bad move. I'm just I'm just giving you the facts, just giving you the data and science. Uh, all right. So one of the questions I get a lot is, uh, Pete, how have you been able to maintain your good looks over? No, I'm kidding. What I get the question I actually get is uh, about schools is, are they getting the money even though they don't have the kids? No butts and seats. Does that mean they still get the funding? So this uh, question actually was answered. Uh, a couple weeks back, the uh, Carolina Partnership for Reform, I think is what it's called, uh, CPRNC.org. Yeah, the Carolina Partnership for Reform. Um, and they wrote about this a couple weeks back. Even prior to the pandemic, enrollment in North Carolina schools had been dropping. And uh, pre-pandemic, 78 of North Carolina's 115 school districts had declined 78 out of 115 reasons cited were a decline in the fertility rate and a rise in the enrollment at charter schools uh that year this was uh 2019 the decline was 2400 students in the traditional public schools in 2020 it dropped another five percent and these numbers come out of the you know the heart of the pandemic then um, the numbers from DPI apparently uh, not looking too good either. Uh, COVID pandemic and parent frustration with school leadership has been on the front burner all year. First, there were the efforts by the teachers and the NCAE union, don't call it a union, to keep uh, school kids from in-person learning. Uh, the head of the teachers union, don't call it a union, even said learning loss is a myth, right? When people were concerned that their kids weren't getting an education by being in the government buildings from the government employees, they were told, by the government union, they were like, oh, that's just a myth. Your kid's not really getting stupid, which was sort of surprising to, like, everybody who's heard the PSAs about make sure your kids, you know, uh, uh, read some books over the summer so they don't have learning loss and all that. It, like, completely different messaging now. Then there was the furor 
that cropped up with the uh, not the not the German leader Führer, but the Führer um, that cropped up with the critical race theory training that got uncovered in uh, the state of North Carolina became a topic of concern for parents that did not want their kids educated in that kind of an atmosphere of division and hate. Parents began asking questions at school board meetings like we have seen at school board meetings across the country. And they get chastised by the liberal establishment for speaking out and asking questions about their kids' education and what their kids' teachers are really teaching. And the pandemic actually gave parents a lot of insight into this. And so parents started pulling their kids out. And then you also have the mandates, the vaccine mandates that uh, came down. And you have the masking policies and all of this stuff. And what the teachers' union... And that guy, Justin Parmenter, as their spokesperson, as their mouthpiece for the union, what he is conveying is that all the teachers are quitting. All the good, all the good ones are quitting, I guess. That, but except him, he's a good one too, I guess. But he's not quitting anyway. The uh, I know it's it's hard to follow sometimes their logic on these things, but I digress. Um, are the teachers leaving, and for what reasons? You actually. We actually do know what some of these reasons are because the schools do a survey. They do exit interviews and they compile the results from August 1st through December 8th, 2021. So last year, ending in December uh, of 2021, CMS had almost 1,600, quote, separations, total number of employee departures, right? The number one reason teachers left CMS, you know, the number one reason, almost 16% said this was their number one reason why. They're going to go teach at another district in North Carolina. So that's not a I'm leaving teaching. That's a I'm leaving CMS. I don't want to be in CMS. That's the that's that response. Number two, family responsibilities slash child care. That was the number two reason coming in at 11 percent. And by the way, that was constant. That is generally always number two coming in at about 10 to 11 percent every year. Teachers leave. There's almost like there's some sort of a connection there that they, that teachers, what would be that connection? Teaching, having kids, staying home, I don't know. It'll come to me, I'm sure, at some point. Number three, family relocation. And then coming in at number four, career change at 9.2%. And number five, job dissatisfaction at 8%. 7% said they're going to go teach in another state. 6% say they're resigning due to health. And only 3.7% say better pay. The last reason, only 3.7% said better pay. Those are the reasons teachers actually left. Stick around. Winterbull's up next. See you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 